You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider from Irish Illustrated, Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley with Pete Sampson from The Athletic. It's March 1st. Just a reminder, our next podcast will be next Tuesday, March 9th. Well, we want to talk about Notre Dame football and we'll end this segment with Notre Dame basketball, but we have to start with the, uh, with the tragic news of the passing of Lewis Nix III. We all have, I mean, you just, you, all you have to do is go on Twitter. Uh, Pete Sampson from The Athletic wrote extensively talking to uh, teammates and, and coaches. And I think everybody that was ever around Lewis Nix just wants to tell Lewis Nix stories because, uh, Tim, as you wrote today, he was just naturally funny and he was a lot of fun to be around. He was. He was, I mean, you know, someone asks you, who do you enjoy covering most? And you start going through your head, but Lewis Nix pops up in everybody's mind somewhere along that, along the lines. He's, it, it's hard to be a naturally funny person the way he was. I mean, there's, there's, as you said, there's stories all over the internet. Look at any writer, they have something from him. I just, he, I always thought he put people at ease too. Like you would sit down and it, you knew something was coming out of his mouth, but it was going to be good natured kind of, he's always cordial, good natured. And even if he's kind of ripping on something, it's in a funny, playful way. And I, I would just feel terribly for his, obviously his family. That's a, uh, not many people uh, get this outpouring of emotion when they hear for someone that, you know, we didn't know. We just met him. We just met him. Yeah. And I think we didn't it- know him. I think it's interesting, and I want Pete. I want to go to you because you've talked to a, a few people, but I think it's interesting that it's not just guys that played with them, and a lot of those a lot of those guys are reaching out, but it's others that played before or after him that maybe knew him in passing, but maybe didn't. I, I think everybody felt the same way about Lewis Nix. I thought that was why he was like such a fascinating individual because in the way I described it is like he, he embraced Notre Dame and like Notre Dame embraced him back. Like, and it, it wasn't even just football players. Like it was just regular students um, that he was kind of like your big man on campus. Um, and considering like what um, a challenge Notre Dame was for him and what a challenge just like leaving Jacksonville and sort of the foundation he had was for him. The fact that he could be as upbeat as he was and put a smile on everybody else's faces, I think is, is totally uh, incredible um, because he, he, he lived to make other people happy regardless of whatever was going on in his own life. Well, he, that's what I was going to say. He enjoyed holding court. I mean, he knew that he knew that he had, when the media gathered around him, he knew he had a captive audience. And I think that we knew, you know, when we knew that, okay, Lewis Nix is on the interview list coming this <laughs> afternoon, I think more people from the media showed up. Oh. Right? I, think we, I, mean, I think we got lazy. It, I, by his third year, it was like Lewis Nix would sit down, we'd all stick on our microphones and be like, go. <laughs> it's yeah. just, we don't need to go through a line of questions or, here. Yeah, or just throw yeah. out a topic and yeah. let him let him wax on, on, on that topic. Um yeah, I mean, I, it's just, I mean, it, it really is tragic. A 29-year-old, a great athlete, a great football player, a 29-year-old passing is is tragic. And we don't know all the details yet. I don't know that it really matters to, to any right. of us. The fact is that 29-year-old Lewis Nix, the third, who would hold court and enjoy it and knew that we enjoyed it, um, isn't going to be around anymore. I mean, I think it goes back to like, why was he so important around Notre Dame? The the fact that he committed to Notre Dame 
without a head coach at a time when the program was kind of a mess. Um, and he really took a chance on this place. And so I, I think that that was part of that embrace, which I always thought was kind of a cool, cool beginning to his story, because I, I think it explained a little bit like why people were so emotionally invested in him. I had a mutual friend of ours tell me the story today that Lewis Nix kind of quit the football team on multiple occasions. And Brian Kelly always sought him out to bring him back in the fold. And he's like, other guys quit the football team. And Brian Kelly's like, I don't re-recruit people. But there was something. And it's not just that Lewis Nix was really good because it was Lewis Nix wasn't quitting when he was really good. That's, that's kind of not, you know, if you think about it, Lewis Nix wasn't quitting when he was on the champion or the team that was 12 and one or after that. He wanted to go home. He he wanted to not be doing things at Notre Dame. He remember his first interview with us. He was telling everybody the worst moment I've had was watching like the team play at Yankee Stadium, and I'm also sitting in the dining hall Thanksgiving Saturday watching Notre Dame beat USC. He's like, "This is terrible." In his freshman year, 2010, and I can see why a guy like that would want to go home, and you can see why Brian Kelly would want to bring back a guy like Lewis Nix. Yeah, and a big reason. I mean, a, a significant reason why that 2012 team did what it did was because it was tremendous defensively and Manti Tail was great. Yeah. And he got all the publicity, but we all know that it started up front with a hell of a defensive line and Lewis Nix was in the middle of that D-line. That's how, I mean, that was one of the great realities of Lewis Nix. He was so good, he turned a middle linebacker into a Heisman finalist. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, Pete, because... I think the statute of limitations run out on this, but Michael Birch once told me, if you ask the defensive coordinator, the defensive line coach and the head coach, who the MVP of this team is, there might be one A and one B, not the obvious. I mean, Manti Teo won every award imaginable, but there was a reason he won. There was a, many reasons he won every award imaginable and the guy in front of him didn't hurt. Yeah, and you, I mean, you had Stefan it. you had Capron Lewis Moore. It, it was a great D-line. But when you had that anchor in the middle, and I, you know, I mean, Big Lou wasn't a guy that was necessarily, you know, and he was a nose tackle, so most nose tackles don't rack up right. huge stats. But he was an absolute barrier in, that, in the middle of that, that defensive line. And it, it had a trickle, trickle back effect as you moved, you know, through the defense. So I was a bit like he led the defensive line in tackles that season and i believe he led the team in pass breakups yeah i think um, he led the team I, in pass breakups which is a crazy stat that's yeah i mean it was just like five but still right, right. um but like he was he took up space um i think that mike golick jr said is like you know it's kind of trying to push a brick wall um jonas gray didn't work this into the story but like described what it was like to be tackled by him in practice and he just like you're, it's just like a bear hug, like you're being a, <laughs> mauled by an animal. Um, and it just was, he was just really, really unique. I mean, and on top of like the committing to no coach at the time, like remember what Notre Dame defensive line recruiting was 10 years ago. Like there was a desperation. Notre Dame can't get these guys. Like, you know, Lewis Nix was one of the guys that Notre Dame never got from a school. They never got anybody. Um and recruiting at schools that they rarely beat. Um, so it's, he was just such a unique individual in a million different ways, personality, backstory, and, and career here. Tim, final thoughts? He's just a guy I think everyone's going to miss, even though I hadn't talked to him in seven years. 
it, it, it's an odd feeling, you know, it's, it's, uh, look, there's been, he's, he's not the first, he's, I believe the sixth Notre Dame player that, uh, of the Brian Kelly era that's passed away in his twenties, which is, and not from physical ailments, which is remarkable. And, right. um, I mean, that no matter what it is, it's, he's a guy that's going to be missed by everybody. I think that ever came in contact with him. And you, you don't say that about many people. No, you really don't. And, and most of the Nordin players, I don't want to say they, they're cookie cutter, but they blend in with the rest of their teammates. And every now and then a few stand out. <laughs> uh, Troy Nicholas stood out. I just thinking of that, that time during the Brian Kelly era. Um, and Lou Nix obviously did as well. Rest in peace. Uh, moving on to uh, what basically has become the end of the Notre Dame basketball season because of the way that they've played the last, uh, well, their last lead was the Syracuse game, and they've played two games since that. And, um, you know, they collapsed in the Syracuse game, and then it trickled over to, to Louisville, and then the, the ultimate uh, insult to injury, a loss at Boston College, which, you know, they had fired Jim Christian, their head coach, they have an interim head coach, which seemed to kind of play in Boston College's favor. Yeah, I get that Because they, they were, I mean, <laughs> they were all hyped up to play for him. Um, uh, remind me of the guy's name. Can you remember, Tim? Anyway. Uh, Scott Spinelli. Sp- Spinelli. He, yeah. um, you know, he's fighting. He wants that job, I would assume. Yeah. yeah. And he's one to know. He's fighting for it, and he got that team to play really hard. He got a guy that's had knee problems and hasn't really done anything since November tear Notre Dame apart. Oh my gosh. They had a walk on, start the game. He hits a three pointer. He takes an offensive foul on the other end and they're going, the team's going berserk and they're playing a Notre Dame team. That's just really, that is the worst defensive effort you can possibly imagine. Jordan Cornette. Interesting to have two Notre Dame grads on the, on the call, Mike Monaco and Jordan Cornette. And every time Monaco threw it back to Cornette, Cornette, he had no choice but to talk about what pathetic defense Notre Dame was playing. Yeah, if you don't watch, if you stop watching Notre Dame basketball this year, you probably should have tuned in to listen to Jordan Cornette talk about why you stopped watching Notre Dame basketball this year because it was 40 minutes of that, and he was spot on with everything he was saying. It was refreshing to hear it. Um, it's unfortunate that it's true that he said it. But, Tim, the worst thing you said there is they haven't led since Syracuse, and you know what happened when they lost that 20-point lead? They never came close to getting that thing back. No, they that's didn't, the problem. They, they no longer threaten in that game. People lose leads. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> but you, you got to keep going. If there had been another minute, they would have lost by double, double digits right. after yeah. blowing a blowing a 20 point lead. It could have been a 30 point swing as it was. It was a, it was a 40 to 12 uh, run after when, when Syracuse took the lead. So that's it for Notre Dame basketball. I mean, in terms of, um, you know, I mean, they, they were trending. Pete, you've made a good point that in, unless you beat somebody good, you're not really playing like an state tournament team. They were playing good basketball against lesser opponents. Maybe that. Yeah. Best, yeah somebody's got to win those games. It. it might as yeah. well be you, right? right? And, they were, like, and they were six and two during that stretch. And they, and Tim, yeah. they were playing. They were, they were the, playing quality defense during that stretch for the most part. Georgia Tech has proven to be a good team that they, they really well, should Josh, have beaten. Josh, I mean, Josh Pastner's a good coach, and it's only a matter of time before they get better under him leading the program it's uh there's two games left and i mean of course they're not you know they're i would assume they're going to play well for 30 minutes in these games and 
and lose them. But you'd like to see them play well for three well, minutes and win a game. It's they're at just, home that I, you know, yeah. there's no home court advantage, but there's home court shooting and, and right. everything that goes with it. So, uh, but, but, you know, NC state has struggled. NC state has had their own issues. Uh, Florida state is proving once again, to be the best team in ACC or thereabouts. I mean, I guess uh, that's the so storyline. If you're a Notre Dame basketball fan right now is, will they beat a ranked team in Florida state? Mainly because if they don't, there's 29 going into the offseason because they're not going to get to a ranked team in the uh, ACC tournament. No, they're not. We have a question on basketball in the second segment. We'll address the whole Mike Bray situation uh, and everything goes with it, with it in segment two, along with, of course, with a bunch of football questions. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Len Clark. In addition to covering the Fighting Irish as a journalist, I'm also a certified disc assessment facilitator and help individuals and organizations improve performance and productivity. Learn how you can enhance your communication and increase your profits by taking a disc assessment. Go to disteacher.com to learn more. That's D-I-S-C teacher.com. Burning up the board, segment two, starting with a question from Wreckers 33 Hot. It's a long one. Bear with me. How would you grade Notre Dame's ability to evaluate quarterback prospects under Brian Kelly? Have they improved since the Jack Beneventi, Brandon Dawkins, Matty Mock days? Secondly, Notre Dame is prolific at getting offensive linemen and tight ends in the NFL. O-line recruiting reflects that, and Jeff Quinn is putting together great classes. Can the same be said about tight end recruiting the last two years? You know, start, with the, start with the quarterbacks. Well, yeah, looking at the uh, I mean, the quarterback evaluations, I don't have a problem ever with taking Everett Golson, Brandon Wimbush, Bill Dracovic, Tyler Buckner, Malik Zaire. I don't mind those evaluations at well, all. Ian, I, I think, and, and Ian Book, knowing that he was really a, a, yeah, yeah. You know, a backup coming in. Sure. No, and Ian Book was a great take at, at thinking he was a backup that would serve your team well for, for four years um, and starting to pinch. I, I, I like the takes. Drew Pine maybe could never start a playoff game if you want to be harsh to someone that's a redshirt freshman. If you want to say, would you would Drew Pine start playoff games for Notre Dame? Doesn't seem like it, right? But that's Drew Pine's not not a take when you have Tyler Buckner coming in next. That's that's fine with me too. Yeah, it's uh, I think that um, it's kind of a, a myopic question on the quarterback. I understand it's interesting to me, like how you sort of evaluate your number one quarterback, but then end up they you know go somewhere else or go farther down, but like. Even if you look at how 24-7 evaluates quarterbacks, I mean, I at random pulled up the the top five quarterbacks in 2013, Max Brown, Christian Hackenberg, Shane Morris, Cooper Bateman, Kevin Olson. Like, it's not – evaluating quarterbacks is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't – I think Notre Dame is the rule there opposed to the exception. Um, you know, we'll, I guess we'll sort of see how this this cycle plays out, but I but I don't think there's any – you know, anything to look at and think like, wow, you know, there's, there's something unique to Notre Dame here. I, th- I think that everyone's sort of dealing yeah, with this. You know, I, when you look at last year's quarterback roster, Ian Book, Drew Pine, Brennan Clark. Right. Yeah, that, that's know, the, I, cert- I get yeah, that. I mean, I, I certainly, that. I can, I get that. You know, Tyler Buckner's a great, a great get. I mean, uh, Phil Dracovic physically. Should have been on that was, roster too. And he should have yeah, been on that roster. Well, right. Yeah, and when yeah. you watched him in high school, I mean, that was, that was a huge get for Notre Dame. And that situation was mishandled. I've always said it. I said it through the whole process. Phil Dracovic needed to handle things a little bit better, but it's a it's a two-way street, and and both were at fault. And ultimately, the fact that he wanted to leave 
that ultimately became, that's a Notre Dame problem. That's a Notre Dame coaching staff problem in that situation. I would, those- I would, go ahead, Pete. I was just going to throw this out. You know, when Notre Dame got Deshaun Kaiser in the 2014 class, that was not their number one choice um, at quarterback. I mean, they were trying to recruit Jacob Park, who went to Georgia, who never really panned out. They were trying to recruit David Cornwell, who went to Alabama, who never panned out. Um, you know, they were in it. They, they like Kyle Allen went to AM. You know, he transferred. It just, I think the question is sort of laced with like, why can't Notre Dame find Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Deshaun Watson? Um, And almost everyone in America is asking the same question. So that's why I sort of stick with the, it's not unique to Notre Dame that it's hard to find that level of player. And you know what's funny? Deshaun Kaiser is the only one that panned out of those guys you just named from that class. Yeah, and you just named a whole bunch yeah. of college I could football have, Hall of yeah. Famers, And too. I could have I mean, mess- mentioned Deshaun Watson, who was number two. Like, the fact that, the, you know, in high school, Kyle Allen was way, like, consensus yeah. ahead of Deshaun Watson. Like, in hindsight, that makes no sense. Um, but it just it's hard to evaluate these guys. The, the question also about tight ends, and this is something that I bemoaned during the recruiting process because – I love Thomas Fadone. I love Brock Bowers. I, 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 it was, I thought it was really important that they got tight ends like that. Uh, but instead it's Mitchell Evans and Jack Nickel. And now they're talking about Eli Raritan, who's a six, six project. The guy that I really like is Holden stays who Nordy may mm-hmm. ultimately have a good, a really good chance of, of getting. Um, but I mean, I agree. I, you know, when you didn't, when you didn't get Fadone or Bowers, now you went to plan B and right now you're, you know, after, after Michael Mayer, I think George Takis can do some things, but I mean, you're, you're in a somewhat of a plan B tight end situation. And I get it for one year because you don't follow Michael Mayer into the program necessarily, although you can at Notre Dame because you're going to play anyway. It's in a two, you know, they have, they have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that they will develop tight ends and two tight ends can play at the same time. But just like, when Michael Mayer comes to a program and you're a tight end, I could see not going to that program. But once you're a year removed from that, I'm completely on board with what you're saying, Tim, about the question asked, because then, I mean, you, Michael Mayer is also going to be leaving early, probably, right? In the history of he will probably leave early is Kyle Hamilton and Michael Mayer, and that those guys are at the top yeah. of that list. Um, yeah, you, you would think it would just be a continuous chain of somebody along the lines of Michael Mayer. Yeah, and I did You know, I didn't mention Kevin Bauman, and everybody's high on him. We were high on him. Kane Barong is a guy that I, you know. I just I don't know which way he's he's going to go. I didn't when I saw him in person in Notre Dame. I didn't think that he had the stature of the guys that he was, the tight ends that he was standing around talking with. And I, you know, I know he's a he's a real tryhard guy, and I know he's going to give everything that he has, and maybe he emerges. But right now, they're just they're not in. They didn't. They didn't follow up Michael Mayer. Uh, right. I mean, not only in the incoming class, but as we're looking ahead to the next one, um, I, I like Holden Stays. I think that that's a guy that that could, um, you know, give that tight end room a real bump. But it's not. I don't think it's. Somebody asked me how I felt about it, and I was like, it doesn't really move. Doesn't really move the needle for me where they are at tight end. Beyond, I, of course, the guys that have that we know are going to be on the field this fall. Yeah. I just sort of viewed it like that as, as records through your hat said, I, I totally am with you on the second part of the question. I, I always felt like Notre Dame tight end recruiting should be comparable to Notre Dame offensive line recruiting. Um, 
you can find guys in the Midwest, you can find guys from Catholic schools, um, you can find, you know, guys who are looking for a place that really develops the position. Um, so that in that sense, I guess we'll see, you know, if, if maybe Notre Dame sees something in, in Kevin Ballman, uh, maybe Notre Dame sees something in, you know, Barong Evans that, that recruiting analysts did not, but for the, for the most part, that position, unlike quarterbacks, the guy who's ranked number one or number two at that position usually turns out to be really, yeah, really I, good. I think, yeah. I, I think Evans, I think Evans has size and athleticism, but he, he's had a lot of injuries and they played quarterback last year. So yeah. this is not a comment on Barong Evans, nickel, anyone it is, there should be those guys like Tyler Eifert that come in and you're like, Holy cow. Evans, Barong, Nickel ended up being way better than we thought they were going to be, but they were still getting Kyle Rudolph, Alex Welch, Ben Koyak along the way. And just because Tyler Eifert ended up being better than the next guys, you still want to bring in the top guys and find out if your sleepers can be better for the, as yeah. Pete used to say, maybe get both the top guys yeah. and the guy you like. Both. I love the both answer. Question from CA Irish 77, considering the importance of the quarterback position, shouldn't there be more staff resources dedicated to quarterback development? Surely this can't all fall on Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese. You know, it's, I mean, it's a good question. I feel like they have a lot of resources devoted to it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a position where essentially the quarterback coach coaches the starter and the, and the backup, like every other position you're coaching, like four guys, six guys, 10 guys. Um, so it's a little bit different. I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not sure what those resources would be. That's I feel like Notre Dame has a lot of resources devoted to this already. Yeah. It's a question that it's a good question because it makes you think, but I don't know the answer to it. Like you're not going to have, uh, you're not going to get an analyst to come in. He's not going to be able to work. He's not going to sit around and work with the quarterbacks. That's not how it works on the field yeah. with analysts. Uh, grad assistants aren't necessarily going to do a better job than the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator and the, and the head coach. Um, I suppose as long as Notre Dame's junior and senior quarterbacks aren't much, 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 much better than Notre Dame's freshmen and sophomore starters, we're going to get this question though, right? I, I think I think the whole line of thinking about analysts is getting out of hand. I mean, how many voices? How many voices do you want in the head of your quarterback? What? Yeah. What? What, what is another person going to be able to say that Tommy Reese and Brian Kelly aren't addressing? I, I don't. I think this is getting way out of hand with this whole analyst thing. I don't want a third voice in the head of my starting quarterback. Brian Kelly, Tommy Reese, they, there are only three or four guys in the room at a time. I don't think that you need another voice talking to your quarterback. I mean, and they, they have it all the time, whether it's, you know, Will Hewlett, who worked with Ian Book, um, Taylor Kelly, who works with T Tyler Buckner. Well, those, those, uh, right, those are Malcolm individual. Bell works with Brandon Clark. Like, everyone has that third voice in the offseason, right? Like, so, I mean, you're, in some ways, you're talking about a fourth voice. Uh, um, in ahead of these quarterbacks, and yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I, I think that there's there's enough. Nordames, if Nordame has problems at quarterback, it's not because they don't have enough coaches coaching that position. Wash ND, looking at the defensive back roster, including freshmen, which corners do you think will be moved to safety, and which of the safeties do you think will eventually wind up at Rover or whatever the equivalent position is under Marcus Freeman? Well. I think it's a pretty easy answer for a freshman. You would think Ryan Barnes could move to safety. Um, I always put out there that Ramon Henderson could move to safety just for his frame. Although I think they like a better corner. Um, 
and Kari Gee. <laughs> it seems like he can wind up at Rover. But I got to I gotta say, man, I think they have a Rover that's going to wind up at Rover. And when Prince Kali gets here, yeah, he might be holding on to that Rover spot for a little bit. I agree with what O'Malley said. Um, yeah, and even I'd love to see Kali move inside and Kari G yeah. and Prince Kali on the Well, that, that would, yeah, that would be great because then you're looking at some, some yeah, dudes that I are think, moving out there. Yeah, I think Kari G's, that, that move may be down the road a little bit because they have an immediate need at, at safety. So I think they look at him there first. Yes. I, I, lo- I love, I really like a lot of the things that I've seen and heard about Chance Tucker. Maybe he's a corner. Ideally, I, he probably is a corner, but I think that he's an option back there. Justin Walters is definitely a safety. He's an early entry. He'll get a shot. I, when I say, when Tim, you said maybe Ryan Barnes will move from corner to safety, I'm not really sure that he is a corner set established yeah. <laughs> corner. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think he can do both. I, I, I loved what I saw of him at corner. But if you need a safety, I'm sure Ryan Bartz would be more than happy to, I, yeah, to jump in there this spring. So, I, th- you know, I think there's some options there, including Chance Tucker. But I'd like to see him get first crack at corner with Philip Riley, of course. Um, and they I think corners. that's what will happen. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they, they need, need corners, too. They need <laughs> both. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, just find the right mix. But yeah. they, they have to distribute them, you know, among the, the four positions. This one from O'Mullen is Notre Dame confident they will play the football schedule this year as planned. If there are still travel restrictions, is the ACC an option? How are they proceeding with ticket sales? Well, we, we addressed the whole ticket sales thing with Jack Swarbrick and he's hoping for 70% capacity. That's right now. We'll see what happens with that. The ACC announced on, they announced their fall schedule on January 29th. So the ACC is moving past Notre Dame and Notre Dame is moving past the ACC. If it were, if, you know, let's say something happened again with the pandemic and Notre Dame had to get, they needed the ACC again. I, you know, I don't know exactly what they would do. I would imagine they would try to accommodate, but the ACC has moved on and Notre Dame's moved on. I think that, I think Notre Dame right now, having gone through all this, I think they're very confident that the schedule, yeah. not that there couldn't be a, a, you know, a slip up along the way and where you lose a game. Um, but again, with vaccines, I got my first one, um, hey. let me in. So wait, when I get my second one, uh, spring football will still be going on. So they should be able to allow me into the, those practices. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh, so Pete, no, I'll see you at the stadium on, uh, I mean, September I think, 3rd. I think yeah. everybody feels oh, confident. Molly, we're just too young. young. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're just, <laughs> we'll go to Florida state. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I finally found a good reason to turn 60. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, i agree with what you're saying it, it certainly seems like that the way things are trending with college football in the fall that it, it will be a normal schedule if a slightly adjusted attendance policy but i think so i don't know if tim you talked to swerberg about this but i know uh, eric hansen from the south bend tribune did just like on the blue gold game and it seemed to be there was a very low appetite to do anything different for the blue gold game. Than no, they I would And I, if I were them, I wouldn't either. I, I, it, I wouldn't. Yeah. It makes no high, sense. High risk, low reward. Yeah. There's not or much. No reward. Hopefully they could get, make sure they get it on a network so the fans can watch. I know people, you know, yeah. will be starving for football at the time. I think it's interesting. They're letting fans into the uh, students into the basketball games, but you know, 
it's it's I'm glad they are. I'm glad there's that step. But Mike Bray two weeks ago thought there would be no students for the rest of the year right. now for the last two games. So there'll be about 12 students when I cover the game on Wednesday. I'll let you guys, I'll count them for you guys and let you know how many make it. This one from Doug. I'm trying to, we're we're trying to get you a home win. Uh, It still hasn't happened. You got the last last two games, man. Do you know this, Pete? I have not seen a home victory. I was at the McLeod era and I saw home victories. Okay. Oh my goodness. I feel bad for the people I'm going to be showing up. (laughs) Doug McGill too. Will Tommy Reese be more explosive as a play caller? And then the caveat, which I agree with is one of the many reasons he wasn't last year, a lack of outside threats and Ian Book's inability to connect on deep throws. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, the answer, the answer to the, all, all of these questions are, we've talked about this before. I mean, it's it's playing to the, the the strengths of your football team. And it was offensive line. It was tight ends. It's Ian Book's inability to see the field all the time. It's a wide receiver core that was a little bit makeshift, but McKinley did some great things. Skoranek did some great things. Davis eventually emerged, but I... From my perspective, the answer to all your questions is, you know, yes, because I think Tommy Reese will play to the strengths of his team, and and that will require a healthy Kevin Austin and emerging Jordan Johnson, but uh, Deion Colsey, Lorenzo Styles. Uh, you've got more Xavier Watts. You've got more weapons, and that Braden Lindsay. I keep going back to. That. I mean, there are plenty of weapons from which to choose. Now you just have to develop them and keep them healthy. I think that I would throw a improved Michael Mayer in there too. Like there's no building during the season uh, for a, a true freshman anymore. Like you can, you can build the passing game around him. Um, you know, it's fun watching the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl and see different ways tight ends get used. And like, now that Mayer has some, some experience under his belt, I, w- I would like to, I would think that Reese will probably be like, all right, who, what are some new creative ways we can use him? That's, that's going to be kind of fun to watch. Mahomes too. You got Mahomes and Brady out there. You're going to have your tight ends or be running around scoring touchdowns. He baby. was, uh, by the way, as I was scrolling down that quarterback, so Mahomes was like 20 spots behind. Yeah, I said, there was actually a very funny tweet from, uh, I think Jude at one foot down, he pulled up one of his own tweets from like the draft that year he's like i'm just not seeing this patrick mahomes hype and he's oh. like my own freezing cold take i thought it was good to put himself on blast it's kind of funny there's like yeah. yeah that one that one did not age well at all so. i always try to in my thursday thoughts after the draft i guess it's usually the following week just say you know which of the first round draft yeah. picks you think were steals and who's overrated and I haven't always been great on those, but Ant- Antoine Winfield was an absolute steal in the second round this past year, and he proved that he proved that in the Super Bowl. I can tell all listeners that I showed up to Jack Freeman's house when Mitchell Trubisky was selected by the Chicago <laughs> Bears, and there were two Bears fans, Priester and Freeman, that immediately knew this was not going to end well for the draft selection, and I had no answer for you guys. There was nothing, nothing I could defend on that one. But Still the 49ers isn't. have had a lot of bad quarterback picks since they had a lot of good ones back in the past, so I can't say much. Uh, Jay Jude, what is your best defense of Mike Bray returning next season? And that is not include, he's earned the right to go out on his own terms. I, I don't believe in he's earned the right. I don't, like I said to you, Tim, before we recorded, I mean, I think there's five guys in all of coaching that have earned the right to go out on their own terms. And the current coach in Notre Dame is not one of those. I just, I mean, I don't understand that. I don't, what does that mean? Why on the basis of what Um, now this is not going well. And you know, this junior class to be six and 10 in the ACC. And I don't want to hear about the, how much they've been on the road or how difficult the, 
pandemic was. Not that it wasn't, but it was the same for everybody else. And Notre Dame's been on the road a little bit more. But when they re- when they go to Boston College and Reef, they didn't just not play defense. They refused to play defense. When that happens, what do we have? I mean, what 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 does the Notre Dame basketball program have that you go into next season and say, okay, everything will be better? I think it can be because I think when the sum of the parts is greater than the individual parts and you have something and there was evidence that that was happening, but not against quality competition, nobody should be guaranteed anything when a program's playing like this. Yeah. The only thing that's going to be better next year is they're going to be better next year because they're adding the best player to their team, but it's a one year addition to your team. The, the, The real concern I have is, what are these teams going to look like down the road? Because how, how, how much of an uptick can there possibly be in recruiting right now for the next two years? Because Notre Dame's best year of the last four years is going to be next year. I, I, am, I, am, I will bet people a healthy amount of money. I, I they will have a NCAA tournament team. I don't, I'm not saying they're going anywhere. That's the difference between this team playing defense and not. They will be in the NCAA tournament next year with these players back and adding their best player in Atkinson. But what then? Are you are you actually going to build and start recruiting better after that when you didn't after the Elite Eight? I mean, I guess they got a top 100 class. We turned out it's not a top 100 class in reality, but the, the Elite Eight should have been the, the two Elite Eight should have been the reason the program took off in recruiting. I don't think Paul Atkinson leading a round a run to the second round is going to be the same thing. Pete, what do you think? I think that the the future is pretty dark and cloudy for Notre Dame basketball right now, based on the, the roster that you're talking about. I mean, we, I think we talked about this on the break. O'Malley might've brought it up. Like when they missed the tournament in the Bonzi Colson, Matt Farrell year, you knew the program was going to take a step back based on the roster turnover. I don't see where that step forward is happening because even if they do take a step forward next year, when this, the, the hub, the class of seniors, it's going to be a pretty big step back the very next year. Um, so it's you could lose your I don't know, four best players. It's tough. Like, I mean, I don't do much with basketball anymore, but I remember, you know, very early covering Notre Dame and going to basketball games very early in the Bray tenure. And I mean, the place was packed and like it was kind of a it was a thing to do on a Saturday. Notre Dame was good, the product was good, and it's just everything is just sort of atrophied from here. Um, and it's not you know, pre-pandemic, and I I don't think it's going to be a whole lot different next year. Fans are allowed in. Yeah. I don't, I just want to clarify. I can't even imagine coaching during a pandemic. It's unbelievable. It's ridiculous. Now I'm in, now in more uh, constant communication with link Jarrett, the baseball coach and the things that they have to deal with. It's just, it's really unfair. And I do, I, I want to also add this. A lot of people are saying now, you know, this will be four years in a row. They didn't get to the NCAA tournament. It's three years in a row. They didn't get to the NCAA tournament it wasn't Bray's fault. They didn't get to the NCAA tournament, you know, four seasons ago. Because Colson it, here, yeah. Colson, yeah. I mean, Colson and Colson and Farrell getting injured. They were absolutely an NCAA tournament team and one that could do some damage, but that was all, that was all sabotaged. But you're now in the third year of the rebuild and you're six and 10 in the conference. Well, you're you six and the, 10 in the conference and, and playing worse. Like, all right. So let's say three weeks ago, we're like, look, they're playing better. That's the, that's the, Hallmark of a, of a team that's growing. They're playing better as the year progresses. They're growing into it. Well, now we're at the end. They're playing much worse. 
They're playing like they were in December. That that was the worst effort I've seen since they played Duke when I couldn't Duke back in December. Right. When I couldn't figure out how in the world a team could sleepwalk playing Duke. They're Duke. Right. <laughs> Who are you? But I mean, it was still it was, and, and Duke has you know struggled and but it was still young Duke talent, which you knew was good. This was Boston College, and they benefited from, like we said. It benefited from the interim coach situation. They just did. It really did. They but totally did. You can't look when you are in the third year of this group of players. If quality defense isn't the backbone of your program, I, you know, when I look at Virginia, I mean, Virginia is not overwhelming people all the time with athletes. They're doing it with discipline and tremendous defense. And you can't just you know, a, a great basketball program just doesn't turn great defense on and off. It can't be, no. oh, we're 0-5. We're going to flip the switch now and play great defense. That's got to be the foundation of your program. Question from Club Fred 90 With the recent announcement of a home-and-home series with Florida, what opponent would you like to see Notre Dame add that is not already on the future schedule? What good opponent isn't already on the future <laughs> schedule? Um, if you put – trips into play like a home and home i've always wanted to go to oregon and i think that would be a fun ad for college mm-hmm. football fans and uh both fan bases uh team they've played before i want to drive down or go down to knoxville again because that's one of my favorite stadiums to visit but tennessee probably isn't the top of anybody's list right now but there's that's a great place to go watch a football game pete i forgot i blanked on oregon because that actually would be probably number one on my list i would throw auburn in there and I, I think a, a home and home series, while not sexy in any way, shape, or form, a uh, home and home series with Iowa would be kind of cool. Oh yeah, that would be fun. I never That's thought cool. of that. Having had a brother who lived in Oregon for a long, long time, the atmosphere in the stadium would be great. If you're looking for something else to do in Eugene, Oregon, you're not going to find it unless you get to unless you get to the West Coast uh, or go east into the mountains. But it's you the 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 home of the Oregon Ducks is not what you might think it is. It's beautiful, but there's not a whole lot to do there. But that would be that'd be a great venue for me. Auburn, I I, I thought Auburn too. Never been there. No, I mean, it, as it appears now, we'll never uh, end up going to Auburn. But I think that'd be a as if they need another you know generally quality opponent. That's why it's like. Who else do you want to? They add should play them next schedule? year. I mean, they like, should put Auburn on next year's schedule just for the fun of it. See how, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> add to it. Yeah, Judge home and home in back to back weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Judge Arthur Vandalay. Besides the obvious tough games, Wisconsin, Cincy, USC, and North Carolina, what is the most intriguing matchup on next year's schedule? And secondly, what team is being overlooked by fans that can give Indy a game? Or maybe those are the same thing. Pete, you know, Pete, you go ahead and start because you know I'm going to say that there's like five other opponents that could be Notre Dame. So I don't know. I look at the schedule and I'm just like, show me the loss, guys. Um, <laughs> no, no, I don't. Um, outside of those four, I, I, I have a, I haven't done enough research into Virginia slash Virginia Tech yet to know which one is going to make me feel like it's a tricky spot, but I feel like it's going to be one of those two. Both, both of course, are on the road. Yeah. I, I think if Bronco Mendehall was the head coach of Virginia Tech. <laughs> it's going to make a change. I would, yeah. yeah, I don't, you know, I, Justin Fuente just hasn't, I don't think has made the progress there at Virginia Tech, but that can be a difficult place to play. And 
Notre Dame almost lost Virginia five, six seasons ago, but it wasn't because it was necessarily a difficult place to play. Notre Dame just wasn't at their peak and quarterback got hurt and Kaiser Kaiser really did not, I didn't think played very well in his first, you know, no, no. His first game, <laughs> he but he hit the only pass that anybody remembers. But I, you know, I mean, I still think Virginia going to Virginia Tech still potentially, you know, a lot of things went Notre Dame's way the the last trip there. If you fall behind, you know, maybe the crowd can make a difference, I would think, at that point. Uh, presuming we have, you know, near capacity or capacity crowds as well. I'm gonna stick with this the whole offseason at Florida State is the most intriguing matchup. Yeah, I you know, first game of the oh, year. Yeah. You know, new quarterback. That new can offensive line. Be, right. That can always be tricky. I, I I find it hard to believe that we've already gotten to the point where we're not immediately mentioned going to Stanford at the end of the season. But they're, I mean, they're down. They they, they just, they, right. They have not, um, you know, they've not progressed. So, I you know, Navy, Navy can always jump up and, and bite you when they finally find the right quarterback to make it work. But I do you, wouldn't do you anticipate guys think this that is, Do you guys think this is a fair comment? If Notre Dame is healthy, they will be a better team at the end of the year than they are at the beginning, which makes at Florida State on a Sunday night with a new quarterback, new wide receivers, and a new offensive line kind of scary. I, I would agree with that. I mean, got to stay healthy, obviously. You can't. No. I mean, if Mackenzie Milton is what he was at UCF, that's dangerous. I mean, that new defense coordinator, new secondary. New pass rush. I mean, aside from a new offensive line, new quarterback, um, it's a that is a really tricky spot. Yeah, I think Melton gives them stability again, provided that he's fully healthy and can yeah. be the quarterback yeah. he was. I mean, I would imagine he's still going to be able to throw the football the way he always did. Will he be as mobile? You know, I, I you know, I don't know, but Who knows? Uh, yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, I mean, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, USC, and North Carolina is. That's the, that's you know, the that's still, that's still enough. Runs. That yeah. leads us into our next question, which is from uh, hooks underscore Orpic. What do you see stopping first, the long home winning streak or the long winning streak against unranked teams? Or are you bold enough? You can't be, it's March. You can't be too bold. Are you bold enough to make a March prediction that one or both will last through 2021? Home game, home winning streak at 23. Am I right? 23 or 24. Can't remember how I we ended up there. I think it might be yeah. 24. Okay, I should look that up. Sorry. What do you think? Uh, so home games are USC, North Carolina, Cincinnati. So the three of the four hardest games are at home. You lose another one. That's You shouldn't lose to Purdue. I don't care if Purdue's pretty good or not. They lost Rondell Moore. Uh, I would say that couldn't both go away on the same day? They could lose to an unranked team at home out of yeah. those games. Yeah. So it could be USC, could be. Yeah, USC sometimes starts four and two and ends up nine and two. You know, right. they're, they're right. not always. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, could they get through again? We've talked about this. Pete and I discussed that, that this would be a year. Just, I mean, looking at it um, 24 hours after losing Alabama, which is when we <laughs> discussed it. Uh, I would imagine it could. I don't know. Let's. Let's take a, you know, we're going to learn a whole lot more about this team and Marcus Freeman and Jack Cohn and the offensive line and where they are when we get through spring practice. And we will end with 
a question from ACCTG Teach. I'm sending you back to the desert island, but this time your nemesis has arrived and is trying to take you out. <laughs> I didn't read this one somehow. This what former Notre Dame player are you taking with you to win this battle? And then second question is bonus question. Do you take your favorite beer or bottled water? I mean, I think desert islands have a fresh water supply, right? We're okay. My viewpoint was like, you're not making it off anyway, so you might as well enjoy a beer. <laughs> multiple, multiple. Your nemesis is back. I mean, there's two answers for the nemesis, right? You, maybe we can go by arrow, but if you don't say Zibikowski or Quentin Nelson mm. to be your defender on this island to try and take out your nemesis, who else are you picking? I was thinking I more like the George. Kyle Rudolph, like, uh, you know, kind of an American gladiator. <laughs> like, I feel like he could do everything for you, uh, not just run somebody over. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Kyle Rudolph here. Yeah, I'm going to dip. I'm going to dip back. And I, I would definitely say Chris Zorch first. And, oh, I thought you'd say Ross Browner. Well, I, I didn't want to go that far back. But if I were to name three, it definitely would have been Ross Browner, Chris Zorch, and Bryant Young. Because I the lead to my story about Bryant Young was – you want to talk about dude that you want walking off the bus first for you? Yeah, that's true. It it, it was definitely by, but I think you're okay with any of those. Zibby, I, I I'm looking. <laughs> I'm no, I know, you, man. I'm there's a, there's a, a bar fight more. video we've all watched recently where I don't want to be dealing with something like that. Well, that's true. He is yeah. a boxer. I was I was thinking I was looking for a little bit more bulk. Yeah, it's. There's some bulk in those punches, I bet, when he's coming. You know, you were mentioning Bryant Young get off the bus first. I don't know if you want to Google Quentin Nelson. Right now, we're getting off the bus. Looks pretty good, too. When he's no, I'm not. <laughs> Colts uniform. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with. I, I Q, could, Q could lead the way for me anytime. You see, I was thinking like more defense. That makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the, anyway, I like the Desert Island questions, but I would be happy to try the spring water from the waterfall and all that stuff and have all a right, few so cold. What, so what beer would you have shipped in or oh. what beer would you have waiting for you when you were stranded on the desert aisle? Or figure it's about 85 degrees all the time, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. It kind of eliminates the bourbon barrel age type <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yes. I can drink Makes Guinness sense. cold or warm. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> oh, God. That's a tough call on a, uh, I would, I don't think I'd go Guinness on a desert Island. No, no. I think it'd be more of kind of your uh, new England IPA variety. Like a little, a little bit fruity, a little bit lighter. Um, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Not sure sense. if I have a favorite variety there. I wasn't taking environment into consideration. Yeah. <laughs> just my taste buds. Yeah. Would be... All things must be considered. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Somewhere in the in the amber ales, I think is where I would ultimately end up. Hey, we appreciate you joining us today for Irish Illustrated Insider again. Just a reminder: tell everybody that you know our next podcast will not be on Monday, March eighth. It'll be on Tuesday, March 9th. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.